So glad that you're here. Uh, it is a delight to be with you. We are finishing up a series that we are, have called Invested. And uh, we have been sharing stories all along about how we as a church, a community, uh, are invested in what it is God's called us to do. And uh, God's invitation for all of us to, to join him, to invest in things that matter. And, and sort of evaluating the difference between what it means to live invested and what it le- means to live spent. And to do that, we, we looked at one key verse, one thing Jesus said, one of the most famous things he, he said. Uh, maybe you don't go to church very often, but you probably heard this, and maybe you didn't even know it was Jesus who said it. But it was Jesus who said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. That's talking about how you invest your life as opposed to spending your life. Because wherever you're investing your resources, your time, your talent, your treasure, that's where your heart is going to be. And Jesus said, because of that principle, because of that truth, think very carefully about how you invest what's important to you. Because hearts will follow your treasure. Hearts always follow your treasure. So for the last several weeks, we've looked at it uh, from two particular chapters. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, we looked at three parables that talked about that. And then last week and this week, we're looking at a passage in, in Luke chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and look in Luke chapter 16 towards the end of the chapter. We're going to be looking at a story today to wrap this invested series up where Jesus gives us an example of two investors and the results of their lifetime of investing or the lack of investing. So I want us to look at these two characters uh, because what you're going to find is that one of them spent everything and at the end uh, had invested little or nothing and the results of that choice and then the other person who looked as if they had nothing at all to spend but had clearly invested in eternity. So Luke uh, chapter 16, uh, hopefully you've had a chance to find it by now, we'll begin in verse 19. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover... Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So we're introduced to two characters here, a rich man and a poor man. And the rich man, I want you to pay attention to what defines the rich man as rich. He not only had clothes, but he had nice clothes. And he not only had food, he had consistent food, and it was good food. Right? Now the poor man, on the other hand, uh, the, the poor man had no access to medical care. He was sick. Uh, He did not have any food at all so that he just desired sort of the scraps from the rich man's table. And he had no shelter or protection because the dogs are obviously having access to him. So so you see two pictures and and it, it begs the question, Jesus' parable is begging the question, which one do you want to be? Now that's not a trick question. We don't want to be Lazarus, right? We, I mean, we don't want to be in that position. We would much rather be in the rich man's position. But very few of us would say that we are, in fact, the rich man. But look at what the definition of a rich man is. A rich man is somebody who's got not just clothes, but some nice clothes. A rich man is someone who's got food, but not just any food, food that they prefer and food every day. Now, if that's the standard for rich, I would venture to guess that most of us in this room are rich. John the Baptist actually said, if you have two coats... Give one away. You know, the definition of rich is this. You have extra. You have extra. Do you have more than one pair of shoes? Do you have more than one set of clothes? Do you know what you're going to eat today when you go home? 
then on a global standard, guess what? You are rich. Now, as we read through the rest of the story, I want us to pay special attention to something because it's not just that there was a rich man and there was a poor man, but the two interacted. And don't miss the connection that they had in this because it was the poor man who was laying outside the gates of the rich man. And he longed for the food, the food that fell off the table, the extras, the waste. He just wanted what was going to be wasted, what was going to be thrown out. And notice what the rich man did. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You see, he didn't abuse Lazarus. He wasn't mean to Lazarus. He just completely ignored Lazarus. The rich man's sin wasn't a sin of commission. It was a sin of omission. He just did nothing. He let the food go to waste. He let the extra clothes rot in the closet. He had extra shelter and a warm place. And he did absolutely nothing for Lazarus, who was right outside the gate. Verse 22. The poor man died. And was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So here's what happened. Both men only had a limited amount of time to live. Just like everybody in this room. We don't know how long that is. You don't know how long God's given you. But you've got a set period of time that you've been given to live. Both men had this period of time to live. They both came to the end of their lives. They both died and after their death there was a role reversal you you see a flip something happened things were inverted so now the rich man is in Hades which uh, in the New Testament is basically a description for a place of eternal fire it's a place of suffering it was the word Gehenna in the New Testament was basically the the name of the city dump it's where all the garbage was taken and it there was a perpetual fire in that place where all Everything was just wasted. It was just burned away. All the refuge and the leftovers were just burned away. And Jesus is saying, so that's where the rich man is. Meanwhile, the, the Lazarus, the poor man, is in heaven. Now, but, but pay special attention because it would be easy to get the wrong message from this. You see, the poor man did not go to heaven because he was poor. And the rich man did not, did not, it did not go to hell because he was rich. That's not, that's not what was going on here. It's important for us to know that we should not confuse wealth with privilege in this life or the next. Do not confuse wealth with privilege in this life or the next. That's what was going on here. You see, the rich man assumed that his wealth gave him privilege both here now in this life it gave him privilege to live the way he wanted to live to eat what he wanted to eat to wear what he wanted to wear to go where he wanted to go to live in the kind of house he wanted to live in it gave him the privilege to do that but he was also assuming that his wealth gave him the privilege to live the way he wanted to in the next life and what you find out is that wasn't the case he he had missed something critical That is a truth that is throughout the Bible. You see, the Bible never equates righteousness with poverty or wealth. Do not assume just because somebody is poor that they are righteous. Neither should you assume that just because somebody is rich, they are unrighteous. The Bible never makes that comparison. You've got examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament of rich people who are righteous. One example would be Abraham. He was a very wealthy man, and yet God considered him a righteous man. And then in the New Testament, you have stories like this one and the one of the widow with her might. And Jesus points to her and says, this is a righteous person. Righteousness does not equate 
to the amount of money that you have. And some of you need to hear me say this as well. Wealth is also not a sign of God's affection toward you. I know there are people who teach, who do what I do, who teach that. That if, if, you are, if you want God's blessing, you will receive God's wealth, you will receive God's riches, that riches are a sign of God's love for you. That is a lie. Wealth is not an indication of how God feels about you. So if you are here today and you are rich, you are wealthy, your wealth does not mean that you have lived more righteously than people who don't have as much as you. Neither does your wealth mean that God loves you more than he loves them. Those two things are are not equated. See, the tragedy of this story is not that Lazarus was poor. That's not the tragedy. Because, you see, that was a temporary condition. That was a temporary state of being. The tragedy of this story is that the rich man's earthly wealth, which was vast, was an entire waste. It was a waste while he lived, and it was a waste after he died. Verse 24, Jesus continues. And so he called out to Abraham. This is the rich man. Called out, to, called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, I, this, this is a fascinating verse to me. Don't, don't just rush past it. If you've heard this story before, it's easy just to kind of let the familiarity maybe inoculate you to what's going on. But, but notice something the rich man doesn't say. The rich man is not asking to be rescued from hell. Did you catch that? He's not saying anything about get me out of here. He is instead reverting back to the same sin he had while he lived, which is the assumption that Lazarus was there to serve him. Catch what he said? He didn't say get me out of hell. He said send Lazarus to hell to serve me. That's what he wanted. That's what he was asking for. You see, the rich man's mind, in the rich man's mind, Lazarus was there for one purpose. Lazarus was there to serve and meet his needs. The rich man was still believing that he was better than Lazarus. The rich man still believed that somehow his earthly wealth had bought him privilege, not just in his earthly existence, but even into eternity, that, that it made him better than Lazarus. You see, he was deceived. Because even in hell, he could not grasp his true condition. He was confused because he confused his earthly wealth with privilege. He believed that what he possessed gave him power. When in fact, his love for earthly wealth had robbed him of eternal privilege. He, he so held tightly onto his wealth while he lived in life that he failed to use it the way God intended him to use it. He failed to invest it. Instead, he spent it, and it was a total loss, and it had no benefit to him after life, after death. He carried the lie that he believed in life with him into the grave and beyond. C.S. Lewis, uh, in a little book he wrote called uh, The Great Divorce, tells the story of, uh, of a bunch of people who live in a gray city who get on a bus and they're, they're going to heaven. And they get to heaven and they're invited to come into heaven. But one by one, the people on the bus refuse to go in because there's something in this life that they refuse to let go of. They will not let go of it in order to receive what God has for them in heaven. And I look at this story and I see exactly that principle at play. 
that this rich man, the same sin that held him captive and made him bond, had him in bondage in life was the same thing that had him in bondage in hell. Listen, hell is the reality just behind the facade of earthly pride. And to extend that and to extend to the extent that we refuse to let go of it in this life, we will be unwilling to relinquish it in the next life. As long as there is something that you are holding on to that you treasure more than you treasure heaven, it will not only capture you in this life, it will hold you captive for all eternity. Whatever binds you here binds you there. See, this is what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the dangers of wealth. When he said that it would be easier for a rich man, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. He was talking about the fact there is a real risk and a real danger that comes along with having extra, with having more than you need. The danger of pride, the danger of greed, the danger of guilt. Some of you live under the bondage of guilt because you know you've been blessed. You know you have extra. You, ha- you know you have more than you need, and you carry around a level of guilt that is also bondage. And Jesus says you can be free from that. Listen to what Paul told uh, a church in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. We'll put it on the screens. Listen to what Paul was telling this new little church about a specific group of people that could be almost every one of us in this room today. Command those who are rich. That's most of us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is an uncertainty, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that, when, so that, so that they may take hold of that life that is truly life. Did you, did you ha- hear what Paul was telling this early church? It's exactly the message that the rich man missed. That, that, that your wealth has been given you, to you for a reason. You should use it and leverage it so that when life comes that is really life, you haven't wasted everything in this life. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. This is the message. This is the message that the rich man in Jesus' parable missed. And this is the message I don't want any of you to miss. I don't want any of us to ri- miss. Because I believe God's given us wealth for a reason. And the secret that Paul is telling this church is the same secret Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. If you want to have treasure that lasts for eternity, store it up in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. And here's the secret. Here's the secret to all of this. To living a life that's fully invested. This is the secret. That generosity is the guardrail that keeps wealth from driving us over the cliff of pride, greed, and guilt. The secret is generosity. Generosity is the guardrail. Generosity, as long as you live a life that is generous, that generosity will keep you on the path and it will keep you from going over the cliff of pride where you think that somehow the wealth that you have is due to something that you have done, where it'll keep you from running off the cliff of greed, thinking that you need more, that enough is never enough, and it will keep you from going over the cliff of guilt, thinking that somehow you should apologize for what God has entrusted to you to steward for a period of time. The key is generosity. 
And so because we are more like the rich man than Lazarus, because we are the the rich that Paul told Timothy to talk about, I, I think we should ask ourselves a question. And the question is pretty simple. It's a question that you should wrestle with, not just now, right now for these few minutes that we're together, but I hope you'll go home and you'll wrestle with this question, and I've challenged you with it before during this series. Why have I been entrusted with so much? Why do I have extra shoes in my closet? Maybe lots of extra shoes in my closet. Why do I have more clothes than I will ever wear? Why is my pantry full and there are leftovers after every meal? Why do I have an extra car? Why do I have an extra bedroom? Why do I have these things? Why has God entrusted? See, you can feel guilty about all those things, if those are true about you, but guilt doesn't do you any good. Instead, you have to ask yourself the question, why have you been entrusted with them? And you think, well, I've earned that. I've worked hard and I've earned that. I went to school, I did. But but what what kept you from being born in a different time in a different country? Where it wouldn't have mattered how smart you are or how hard you worked, you still wouldn't have never gotten anything more than what you needed every day to survive. Why were you born with the opportunity to get an education, to achieve wealth, and other people weren't? You see, it's not about your pride. Generosity will remind you of that. Generosity will also keep you from going over the cliff of greed, where enough is never enough. That you live with a margin in your life. And you say, I'm going to live off a percentage of my income and I'm going to give the rest away for the cause of Christ. Generosity keeps us from going over that cliff. And here's the secret. If this rich man had asked himself that question, eternity would have looked very different for him. Because he would have lived his earthly life understanding and knowing that he had been entrusted with great wealth for a purpose. And one of those purposes was right outside his gate. And he missed it. And I wonder how many of the purposes for our wealth are right outside our gate. And we're missing it. Listen to what Abraham said. But Abraham said, verse 25, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you're in anguish. Now, don't hear what he's not saying. He is not saying that a good life on earth equates to an eternity in hell. Any more than he's saying that a hard life on earth, living in poverty, will equate to a guarantee of heaven. Jesus said earlier, remember, do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. If you store up all those things for you on earth, it will be a total loss. Instead, store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And and what's clearly happened in this passage is that Lazarus and this rich man have lived life very differently. One lived his life storing up treasure on earth. And when he got into eternity, it was a total loss. Lazarus clearly had lived his life in such a way that he must have been storing up what little bit of treasure he had in heaven. And he gained eternal reward. Verse 26. And besides all this, but what's Abraham saying? He's basically saying, so if none of that were true... Okay, let's just say for a minute that none of that mattered for a minute. Besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. What is Abraham saying? He's saying it's too late. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You see, you're going to get to the end of your life, and, and your time is up. You can't go back and change the way you lived your life while you were given an opportunity to live your life. You can't go back and have a redo. 
You see, often we think about the distance when he talks about this great chasm. We think about it as the distance between heaven and hell. Or we, maybe we think about it as the distance between righteousness and unrighteousness. But there, there's a couple other ways to think about this great chasm. This great chasm is also the idea of death. That, that we can't span the gap of death. We can't seem to overcome that. Now, Jesus' listeners had no idea what was about to happen shortly after this, Jesus would be crucified and would, in fact, span the gap of death. But, but at this point, as he's telling this story, humanity cannot imagine overcoming the gap of death. But there's something else, and I think that gets more to the heart of this. The chasm is also the heart of this rich man. That, that this rich man's heart has created the chasm. That even hell, even in hell, he cannot let go of his earthly way of living. That he chooses to continue to live as if his wealth gave him privilege to even command Lazarus how to live. It's sort of like the, the, the rich young ruler. If you read the story of the rich young ruler, a uh, guy comes up to Jesus. He's got a lot of wealth and he says, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus basically says, hey, if you go give everything that you have away, then you can come be, be my disciple. And the rich man goes away sad because he had great wealth. He couldn't part with his wealth. Jesus didn't reject the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler rejected Jesus. And what you find in this story is that the rich man has also rejected Jesus. Listen to what one pastor said. Heaven, we learn, has teeth. Heaven has flames, edges, and sharp points. What Jesus is insisting with the rich man is that certain things simply will not survive in the age to come, like coveting and greed. The one thing people won't be wanting in the perfect peace and presence of God is someone else's life. How many of you spend your time wanting somebody else's life? You see, that can't coexist with the reality of heaven. The man is clearly attached to his wealth and his possessions, so much so that when Jesus invites him to leave them behind, he cannot do it. And so he is eternally separated from God by his own choice. By his own decision, because he cannot get over his greed even after his death. Now notice the transition that the rich man, the rich man makes now. Verse, verse 27. And he said, then I beg you. In other words, okay, since that's true and I can't overcome the gap and you're not going to send Lazarus down here to serve me, then I beg you to send him, send Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Now, he, he has wasted his life on material pursuit. He has wasted his life on material wealth. And now, all of a sudden, he's interested in his brothers. Now, all of a sudden, after his death, he thinks, well, maybe my brothers need to hear this message. My brothers need to be aware of, of what, what, they're, what they're facing would you, would you please send Lazarus? Notice he doesn't even address Lazarus himself. He still thinks he can command Lazarus. He still thinks that he can use Lazarus for his own selfish cause, for his own desires. Look, listen, listen this, is, this is so important for us to consider. Learn the lesson of the rich man. Because he got to the end of his life. And he realized something. He realized that he had spent all his life gathering, accumulating wealth and houses and riches. And now after death, he thinks that his brothers are important. He thinks that the eternal destiny of his brothers matters now. Listen to this. This is true for all of us. No matter what you think about God, no matter what you think about church or the Bible or Jesus, this is true for every one of us. Your wealth cannot buy more time 
to do in, this, in the next life what can only be done in this one. I don't care how much money you have. Your money cannot buy you more time to do in this life what you cannot do in the next one. So how you use the time that you've been given and the resources that you've given will have an eternal consequences as it affects the people that you care the most about. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now Moses and the prophets basically refers to what we have as the Old Testament. Basically, Abraham's saying they have the Bible. They have all the same things you had. Let them hear what Moses and the prophets have to say. Uh, and listen to, what, listen to what the rich man says, verse 30. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, talking about Lazarus, they will repent. In other words, the Bible's not enough. They need something spectacular. They need a show. Now, it's interesting. This is the only parable in the entire Bible that Jesus uses a proper name. He, he doesn't just call Lazarus a poor man, he calls him by name, Lazarus. And of course, we know from John chapter 11 that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And there were people who saw Lazarus come out of the grave. He had been dead and he was alive and they still didn't believe. And Jesus' audience has no way of knowing this. But we, looking back on this story, also know that Jesus himself would die on the cross of Calvary. And that through the power of God, he would be raised from the dead three days later. And yet there were still people who did not believe they didn't believe in God and Abraham is saying listen they've got everything they need if they're not going to believe Moses and the prophets they're not going to believe even if somebody comes alive from the dead look at verse 31 he said to them if they do not hear Moses and the prophets neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead you see we see the glory and the power of God in the resurrection but if you are so filled with pride and self-love that you cannot see anything beyond yourself, you will miss the res- even the resurrection. But here, here's what is true. The antidote for the pride, the antidote for the greed, the antidote for the, for the rich man wasn't found in the resurrection. It was found in the crucifixion. You see, it's in the cross of Jesus where you see the investment of God The investment that God has made inside of all humanity, inside of you. The fact that God himself would abandon the riches of heaven. That he himself would become poor so that we might become rich. That he would lay it all aside. You see the tremendous love of God in the sacrifice of his son Jesus Christ. Where he gave up everything. Makes me think of the hymn writer Isaac Watts when he said, When I survey the wondrous cross... On which the prince of glory died, my richest gains I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. You see, when we begin to look at the cross of Jesus, when we see the sacrifice, the grace, the mercy, and the love of God, we recognize that nothing we can acquire in this life, nothing we could ever give, no no amount of service will ever come close to what God has done for us. It's what Paul was thinking when he wrote Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. As we finish this series and we talk about investing, we talk about how we live our lives, and as we look at this picture, a picture, by the way, that's reality for all of us, 
I mean, there comes a point at which we will finish this life and we will face an, a, an eternity. And, and you can debate about what that looks like, but we can't debate the fact that that reality comes for all of us. And it's in that moment that you see the, the distinction between one who has invested his life and one who has just spent it. And we have to ask ourselves, which will we be? And what motivates us? It can't be the fear of hell. And I don't even think it's the hope of heaven. I think instead what motivates us is the love of Jesus Christ. The fact that he would give everything for us. The fact that he would be totally invested in you and totally invested in me. So we invest back in his kingdom and we invest back in other people whom he also loved because he has invested everything in us. We have nothing except what it is that Christ has given us. So as we conclude this series and as we conclude this message today, we're going to take communion together. And we're going to invite you to participate. If you're here today and you're a baptized believer in the Lord Jesus, you're, you're welcome to participate in this communion service. Uh, do, do not feel obligated to participate. You don't have to participate, but you're all welcome. It doesn't matter, matter uh, whether you're a member of this church or not. We'll have people here to serve you. You'll come forward and you'll be asked to take the bread. And uh, you'll be, there'll be a cup and you can dip the bread in the cup as a reminder of what Christ has invested in you, that his body was broken, his blood was poured out. For some of us who are here and have been a part of this invested, maybe this is the time that you would come and you would make your uh, commitment to the invested campaign and to, uh, to, to this ministry of Southside Baptist Church. In, in these chests that are down front or in the balcony, there will be some baskets. But, but I, want you, I don't want you to miss the symbolism of this, that as you come and receive this picture, this symbol of life that God has given to you, we also have an opportunity to invest in the mission of, of Christ and the cause of Christ in the world today. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads. Those who are serving, if you will, go ahead and make your way forward. We're going to pray together. And then as we sing and worship, you come and take communion. Can we stand together as we pray? Father, we come to you this morning um, with hearts that are truly grateful because we recognize, Lord, that uh, through no merit or worth of our own, for, for many of us in this room, maybe even everyone in this room, uh, by the definition of this parable and the definition of the New Testament, we are so rich. And, and Lord, even if we're not rich in material possessions, we're, we're rich in opportunity and freedom. And, and so, Lord, we, we come and we ask ourselves the difficult question. Why? Why would you see fit to give us so much when others have so little? Why were we given an opportunity to freedom? Why were we given an opportunity to freedom of speech? And why were we given the opportunity to gather together openly to worship? Why were we given so much? What, what is the purpose behind it? Lord, may we recognize that what you have given us is a, is a, is a treasure and it's a test and it's a trademark that the world will look at us and they will see who we belong to based on how we use what you've given us. Lord, we want to hear the words of Jesus and we want to be fully invested. Father, that everything we have belongs to you. And Lord, we offer it back to you to use it however you would. Lord, to, to bless and minister to the Lazarus at our gate. 
Father, to serve the one who is cold, the one who is hungry, the orphan. And to know that when we do it, it's as if we have done it unto you. Father, may we be invested. May we not spend our lives and have nothing to show for it. And so, Lord, as we come to the end of this series and as we come to this time of commitment and reflection, Lord, as we take the bread and as we dip it into the juice and as we hear those words, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you, and as we put that in our mouth and we consume that, may we recognize that even the life that we have is a gift from you. May we steward it well as we seek to exchange the life you've given us that others may also be given life. For we pray this in the powerful name of the one who gave all for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.